0: Helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020, weekdays on Vision Christian Radio.
1: Realfaith.org.au. I just spoke to the manager and I said, I need a loan. We said, What do you want a loan for? I said, Well, I've got to build a house, I'm going to start a church. So he said, tell me about that. So I told him that we, my wife and I and young family felt the call of God on us. This is something we had to do that he was going to provide for us. And he looked at me with the strangest look. He said, look, I tell you what, I'll give you a loan based on the income you've just sacrificed.
0: Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through helping us today, and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's Real People, Real Life, and Real
2: Faith with Eric Skadabo. Grieving is one of the hardest things we go through in life because none of us like to experience loss or the death of a loved one. And one person who has unintentionally become somewhat of an expert on this topic is David Schaefer. David is the author of the book, Grieve Upwards, One Man's Journey Through the Valley. He'll share his story with us today, David Schaefer. Welcome to the program.
1: Thanks, Eric. Great
2: to be here. Glad to have you with us. And so you've unintentionally become an expert, or somewhat of an expert, on grieving. Is that right?
1: Some people say that, and uh, I'm happy to wear the tag. I've been through about 10 seasons of grief now in my Ten? life. Yeah, about 10. Wow. Wow. Um, don't be too surprised. I don't
2: know if we're going to be able to get through all of them. <laughs> we'll get some of the major ones.
1: No, no, no. All you've got to do is keep breathing, keep sleeping, keep eating, and uh, sooner or later things happen mm-hmm. on life's journey. And yeah. So really, you know, it, it, there are many people out there who are experiencing the same things I am, but it came to a time in my life where my first wife passed away, and this time – I knew I had to learn something about what I was going through. Mm -hmm. I had to get through it. uh, Probably in some of the early experiences of grief, I didn't really believe much about myself. But by now, by the time my first wife passed away, I did believe something about myself, that I was important to planet Earth, that I had a plan that I needed to fulfill and live out. And so now I had to get through this thing And I only discovered later that, on my journey, that understanding grief is a big part of getting through grief. And so Hmm. I set myself the uh, pathway of understanding it, getting to grips with it, so that I could get through it.
2: And it sounds like the whole process of going through grief, 10 different stages of it, uh, has helped you just grow as a person in general.
1: I describe myself today as one of the happiest people I know. And obviously, there are two ways to grieve. The Bible way is to grieve with hope, and that's why the title of the book is Grieve Upwards. Um, there's another way to grieve, which really just sinks you down into mm. the soup. Yeah. And um, many people are stuck in grief. I didn't want to get stuck there, so here we are today. Uh, ten seasons of grief... Um, That's not a great number, really, when you think about it. It's just that they were 10 unique experiences, and it wasn't all with people. One of the major griefs in my life was the loss of my first church, which I invested my whole heart and soul into for 12 years in Port Macquarie. Mm -hmm. When I moved, I wasn't expecting to grieve, and I didn't understand what was happening to me uh, when I did.
2: Okay, well, we have a lot of
1: seasons of grief to get to,
2: so uh, let's go right back to the beginning.
1: Where were you born and raised? Born in Grafton. In New uh, South Wales? New South Wales, and I was 18, finished school, about to head off to Hawkesbury Agricultural College in Richmond, out the back of Sydney, and in the January of that year, between school and college, my father, who was a Second World War fighter pilot, survived the whole war as a fighter pilot. Uh, passed away from a massive heart attack and again I didn't know what was happening I didn't understand that I would be grieving but three weeks after he passed away I jumped in a friend's car they drove me to Sydney to start my new life there so that was the conclusion of 18 years of uh, growing up in Grafton
2: hmm and so was that your first season of grief
1: that I can remember mm-hmm. first season of grief I can remember going to the funeral watching the coffin being taken out of the church. And uh, still, it was surreal mm. I, uh, because grief wasn't something were you, I th-
2: were you close to him?
1: No. No, nobody was close to Dad. He was a Second World War fighter pilot with a gigantic case of PTSD. Mm. And Dad was the person who could sire three children but couldn't father them. And so I describe him as the father I never knew. Hmm. Did I love him and did I respect him? Absolutely. He's one of my heroes. I'm sorry I couldn't get to know him uh, as I was growing up and beyond that. Um, I feel like I, I was robbed of a father, as many were, by the war.
2: So that sounds like kind of a double grief, grief that he passed away
1: and then grief that you never really got to know him. Yeah, over the years, I've I've now got his war diary And over the years, I've looked, I've gathered all the photos I could and as much information as I could just to try and get to know my father Mm. from the time he died in 1968 until now. And isn't
2: it true, we were chatting before we started to record here, that a number of the griefs that we go through, we don't really even recognize them until afterwards and we look back on the
1: experience. Precisely. How many people would that apply to? It wasn't until my first wife passed away in nine, uh, sorry, 2003 and I intentionally began to process the grief, in, in my understanding of it, I suddenly realized that I had all these all this unresolved grief in my life mm-hmm. from all of these previous experiences. And it was only then that the floodwaters... Look, I, I describe it as this. I was raised on the banks of the Clarence River And when we had floods, the Clarence River goes way up into Queensland. Mm -hmm. And so when it rained in all of the catchment areas, we had these massive floods that would come past our back door. We'd have carcasses of bloated animals. We'd have still live swimming ones. We'd have uh, hyacinth and logs and trees and jetties and boats. Everything would go past our door as all the tributaries were flushed out. That's a picture of what happened to me when I began to intentionally do grief, when I understand it and process it. You know, you you either process grief or grief processes you. Hmm. And uh, all these tributaries of grief were flushed out of my life. It It was actually an overdue but wonderful experience because I became free in so many areas of my life because I didn't have this compounding impact of grief in me anymore.
2: So you said that it was just kind of there, but you didn't really
1: know it. Yeah. I mean, whatever we don't resolve, whatever we don't deal with, stays lodged in our souls, and it becomes a weight and a reason why we never fulfill completely our potential.
2: Well, it sounds like the dam broke, in a sense, to go yeah. back to your flooding metaphor.
1: Yes, exactly. It it seemed like, as I was processing the grief, I journaled a lot mm. in those days, and as I was journaling, it would just occur to me, one after the other, here's a grief. You know, here's another grief. Here's another experience. And these things just let go and came through my life. And I was able to happily and with excitement uh, start to watch these things go through me and out of my life. And they were resolved. And with be- excitement. Yeah.
2: I don't really think of grief and the word excitement in the same sentence. But we'll have to. We'll just have to hold on, and we'll get to that stage in your life when you're starting to process these things in a healthy way. Sure. But getting back to the first grief, the death of your father. Then what happened? What was the next stage in your life?
1: Well, I, I moved to college. I was in the dairy industry, involved in agriculture for ten years after Hawkesbury Agricultural College, and um, then. I uh, sacked myself from agricultural college because in 1968, in the very year that my father passed away, a friend invited me to go to the Sydney cricket ground and hear a person called Billy Graham. Had you ever heard of him before that? I can't remember that I had, but, you know, I went to an Anglican church mm. and I believed in God, so I didn't think it would be anything unusual that was Christian, religious, so I went along. Yeah. And when I was there, I look back on that moment now when Billy Graham gave the invitation to give your life to Christ to come forward. The buses will wait. Come <laughs> come to the front, he would say. And I still say today that I did not hear the message of salvation. I actually felt the message of mm-hmm. salvation. The Holy Spirit just, I, I don't understand. I didn't understand then why I stood up and said to the young lady that had invited me along, I'm going forward, are you coming? Because I was ready to leave a life behind and walk out the front to a new life. Did I understand it? No, but it was a compelling draw for me to go forwards. That's what happened to me Uh, that night. I lost the girl and found Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Yeah, I um, look back on that, and that was just the right thing. To happen. That was my first experience when I was uh, when I jumped on a bus to go back to Central Railway Station in Sydney. It was my first experience of a Sydney bus to hear every person on the bus singing hymns of praise wow. to God. I've never heard that since. What an amazing experience! Wow, that's so, amazing. Yeah, um, it wasn't uncommon for buses to leave the ground. Everybody on the bus singing. Wow. Um, there was a fleet of buses. Our guest today is David Schaefer sharing
2: his story. He's the author of the book, Grieve Upwards, One Man's Journey Through the Valley. We're going to take a break and when we return, we'll find out about some of the valleys in life that he's gone through and how God has helped him to heal. All that and more when we return right here on Real Faith.
0: The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. You're listening to Real Faith, conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au.
2: Welcome back. I'm Eric Skadabo, and our guest today is David Schaefer. He's the author of the book, Grieve Upwards, One Man's Journey Through the Valley. And unfortunately, he's gone through a series of valleys in life. Now we're going to hear more of his story.
1: It was always more important for me to be a Christian than it was for me to be involved in agriculture. Before I was born again, the only dream I had was that maybe I could get involved in beef cattle, and sing songs I wrote in beer gardens out the back of pubs. So what happened, you know, obviously I changed my focus from working with beef cattle to people and then Yeah, uh, just
2: a slight difference there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and interestingly I did I did have a band in the seventies called Was that the, right? Yep. Called the famous Billy T. Bush band with their distinctive flavor. Wow. Uh, yeah. I'm learning something new about you here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, it came and went. <laughs> Let's not get too excited. But it was a lot of fun. And so I wasn't yeah. singing in beer gardens, but we were singing in churches mm. and some of the large charismatic conferences in the 1970s as the church was waiting to uh, get its new propulsion forward going into mm. the 80s and the 90s.
2: Okay, so you're feeling led to do music and sing for the Lord on the side, but at the same time you were involved in agriculture as your, your job. But then you decided, time to go full time.
1: Yeah, a person one day said to me, Do you think you'll ever go full time for Jesus? And I didn't really know what they were talking about, but again, it spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And the more I contemplated this, I was married now, I'm married in 1974. And in 1981, we decided to, after 10 years in agriculture, we decided to uh, sack ourselves. And head off to Port Macquarie and pioneer a church in that beautiful city. So that's what we did.
2: So you started that by faith.
1: By faith, indeed. What a what an interesting thing. I can remember going to the bank in Gloucester, a beautiful little town where we lived at the time, and um, I went to the uh, Commonwealth Bank and spoke to the manager. I said, can I get a loan? I've got a moving to Port Macquarie and I need to buy a house. He said, how much money have you got in the bank? I said, $62.42. And uh, he laughed me all out of the bank. He just, just, you know, what a a dummy. Anyway, I was trusting God. I didn't know about finance. There's a lot of things I didn't know about, but I did know God. And one day, as not, I was dr- yeah, this is not looking too promising in the natural here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being nice, honest with you here. But one day, I was driving from Gloucester to Port Macquarie, and I I parked. I just had to stop, and I I just happened to park outside a St George Building Society, which of course became St George Bank. And uh, I went in, and I, I just spoke to the manager. And I said, I need a loan. So he asked me how much money I had in the bank. And I told him, he said, what do you want a loan for? I said, well, I've got to build a house. I'm going to start a church in Port Macquarie. And... So he said, tell me about that. So I told him that we, my wife and I and young family felt the call of God on us. This is something we had to do that he was going to provide for us. And he said, how many people have you got in your church already? I said, well, we don't have any of those. And <laughs> Again, it's not looking too promising here. <laughs> and, and then he said, well, what is your income? I said, well, I've just given away my income. I don't actually have an income at the moment. That'll come from tithes and offerings. And he looked at me with the strangest look. And he said to me something I'll never forget. He said, look, I tell you what, I'll give you a loan based on the income you've just sacrificed.
2: Wow. (laughs) Unbelievable.
1: Well, again, I didn't know how you get loans or how you do these things in those days. Talk about ignorant. I was just... I was the walking silly at the time, but God had He saw my heart as He always does, and, yeah. and so here we were with the loan. We hadn't, we didn't fail. We made every payment. It wasn't the only time God touched people's hearts for us, but it would have to have been, mm-hmm. yeah. don't you think? How could you? I can't explain it in yeah. any other way. That that this guy, I don't know whether he was a Christian or a non-Christian, but I can tell you his heart was touched, and he swung all of his support behind us in what we were doing to serve God.
2: Mm -hmm. So there you were in Port Macquarie, started that church,
1: went okay? The church started off very vigorously, but we had a problem. Uh, My second child had been born two weeks before we moved to Port Macquarie. She was born prematurely, and when we got to Port Macquarie, she was discovered to have a life-threatening Disease called allergyal syndrome, hmm. and everybody who gets allergy or has allergeal syndrome has to uh, receive a liver transplant at some time in their life, normally before the age of ten and the doctors told us when they diagnosed Belinda that she may die before the age of two. so here we were a family of two starting a new church with a child who may die. Wow. Very soon, and it, it threw us into a place I would call out of our depth. Mm-hmm. We didn't really know how to cope with this. We didn't have the knowledge, the experience, or I might add the, the breadth of faith to be able to really trust God. So we just did the very best that we could and kept going forwards and, you know, doing the, the best we could to pioneer this church. and
2: And that's a grief as well. The grieving, the loss of what could have been if the child did not have this rare disease?
1: We never contemplated the fact that Belinda would actually die. Mm. We believed in a God that did miracles. We believe in a God that promised healing. We we knew enough of his word and enough of his promises to believe that things would work out. And so I don't think we were even plunged into pre-grieving because we never had a a uh, An anticipation mm. That she would die We believe God would see us through it But you know All things work together for good To those that love God And called according to his purpose That's what happened with us mm.
2: And then you experienced a grief That you didn't even realize When you eventually left that church
1: Yes we were asked to leave that church And become the chairman for our Denomination over New South Wales And we moved to Newcastle and I was totally unprepared for this grief because obviously grief can be applied to any kind of loss, mm-hmm. not just the loss of a loved one yeah. through death yeah. or, you know, there can be divorce. There are just so many things loss of identity, loss of a business. So when we, when we moved from the church, uh, the strangest thing started to happen when people from my previous church came to visit us in Newcastle just because they loved us and we loved them. Um, I didn't understand why I'd get this lump in my throat and I would have to leave the room because I felt like I was unable to continue the conversations with these people. Wow, so these emotions are kind of just stirring inside you. I had no you don't idea. But you have any idea why? No idea what was happening whatsoever, but they did happen. And uh, so I, I would just go from one experience to the other and then commit myself again to trying to rebuild this church in Newcastle. So again, unresolved grief. And then came the big one. Yes, we we moved to Newcastle and in the year 2000, so again, there was um, quite a time there. But in the year 2000, my first wife was diagnosed with um, cancer with melanoma. She had a colourless or an amelanotic melanoma just behind the hairline and she was a bit of a procrastinator uh, by the time she had it all checked out, uh, there were the lymph nodes on her neck were swollen up mm. and the fine needle biopsy revealed she had stage 4 cancer. Um, th- for three years, we fought that. We believed, again, that, that God would um, heal her. But, you know, there are some times when you're going to go through things not around them. This happened mm. to be one of those. And so three years later, after fighting a vigorous fight, uh, Marilyn died and uh, slipped out of her body and went into the waiting arms of Jesus
2: And how did you react?
1: Gutted if, Like how would you be? Because I'd been married for nearly 30 years and the last three years of that 30 year experience was was fighting disease together which pulled us closer than we'd ever been mm-hmm. before and when she died in our own bedroom in our own bed, my two daughters standing beside me, and she breathed her last breath. I turned to my daughters and said something that I had no plan to say. There was this sentence came up from within me somewhere from the depths of my being, and I I said to the girls, one day we'll understand why this is the best thing that could have ever happened to us. And oftentimes I think back on that moment Where did it come from? Unrehearsed, unscripted. You know, nobody's a hero at a moment like that. Nobody's strong and, you know, in charge of themselves. But I believe that came out of consistent years of walking with God, loving his word, being with the right people, preaching messages that Mm. I heard long before anybody else did. I believe that's a response that comes from and in you know i think we all win the battle for the inner man or lose it that's where we win the battle of life and i think uh, i think i'd been winning the battle of life and i think that came out of that having said that afterwards i just cried tears that could have filled an ocean mm. there were times that i sobbed so hard i thought that my stomach would turn inside out there were times of anger the symptoms of grief i went through mm. every single one of them probably except denial I um, realized that Marilyn had died.
2: So you were going through the stages of grief, and then at one point it became kind of overwhelming.
1: It did. Can I preface what I'm about to share with you with the fact that whenever I went through any one of these deep moments of grief, I discovered that God was always very close to me, Afterwards, uh, one there was one time when I was downstairs, sitting at a computer, in my Newcastle home, just sick and tired of going through this and not seeing any light at the end of the tunnel, and wondering how long this thing has to go on. And I waved my fist in the air and I said to God, "You are a wife killer." I was, I was just angry, and, and, you know, it wasn't me that was speaking, and I'm, this isn't <laughs> excusing myself, but grief speaks through people. The pain speaks, and uh, I shook my fist and told God, gave him his pedigree, and interestingly enough, he didn't say a word because he can tell the difference between a cry of pain and an accusation of sin, And, of course, he's Mm -hmm. not going to abandon one of his kids Mm -hmm. at a moment when they're in pain. About 30 minutes later, a man rang me. Uh, He was the most loving and wonderful man, somebody today I still admire and love so very much. He rang me. And it was like getting a phone call from Jesus himself. And he just talked to me. And I just cried, (laughs) Mm. and he kept talking, and I kept crying. And it was like, oh, God, you're there with me even in my darkest moments.
2: So God sent a good friend to comfort you.
1: And it's important to understand that because a lot of the time if God showed up, we wouldn't recognize him Mm. in deep grief. If he spoke to us himself, we wouldn't even hear him most of the time because we're in such deep grief. And that's why he sends himself along In the skin of another person. Mm -hmm. That's the way I say it anyway. And that helps.
2: Well, unfortunately, we've run out of time for this part one of your conversation. And also, unfortunately, there's more stages of grief that you've gone through that we've yet to talk about. So we'll invite you to join us again next time for more of your story. Thanks, Eric. Okay, our guest today has been David Schaefer. He's the author of the book, Grieve Upwards, One Man's Journey Through the Valley. And we're going to find out more about his story and also about the health challenges that he went through with his daughter, Belinda. That's coming up next time. Until then, if you want to find out more information about David Schaefer, his website is davidschaefer.com.au. That's davidschaefer.com.au.